I think first payment is about trust. Regulators, banks, and all these guys have a huge trust capital that as a fintech, you cannot build overnight. So I think first, if we say that the payment is also about trust, we need to put ourselves in a serious position to win this trust. So uh, working with regulators and banks and incumbents is very important on that matter. Hello and welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. Today we are joined by Faisal Woodman, co-founder and CEO at Fintechture. Faisal is a repeat entrepreneur who started and grew three businesses in Africa between 2010 and 2017. After a successful exit, he returned back to Europe which led to the co-founding of Fintechture to reinvent the role of payment infrastructure for B2B payments globally. Fintechture is a pioneer in next-generation transactions between merchants. Through constant innovation, Fintechture enables businesses to save time, reduce costs, and increase sales regardless of payment complexities. Fintechture wants to become the preferred online and offline checkout solution for B2B merchants, making it easier for them to trade. With me on the show today is uh, Faisal, who's the co-founder and CEO of uh, Fintechture. Um, Faisal, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, I can obviously do a bit of an introduction, but I always feel that it's best to come from the horse's mouth. Uh, <laughs> would you mind giving a bit of an introduction on, the, on yourself? Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I'll start with myself, then then move to FinTechture. My name is Faisal, and, um, and, and by the way, this is my first podcast in English, so maybe I'll give a little bit more feed, more background about myself since this is my first yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. So my name is Faisal, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fintechture. I'm 37 years old, and happy new dad, as you learned it before our in our conversations. Uh, I, I was born and raised in Morocco in a family of merchants. My first mother tongue is, is the native language of North Africa. Berber then learned Arabic in school, French, when I was arrived in France 20 years ago. Uh, and English afterwards. I, I I did business school after graduating from business school in France at HEC Paris. I started my career in finance and uh, worked shortly for Lehman Brothers. I don't know if you remember the name. Yeah, of course, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Before the bankruptcy in two thousand and eight, and I think this event was really liberating for me because uh, it enabled me to focus on what I wanted to do versus following opportunities, which was my mindset before that. So I, I spent one more year in the banking industry working for Nomura uh, and then went back to Africa and started my first business in 2010. So it's 12 years ago in the education sector. So basically completely changed environment and jobs. And yeah, I think this this 28 crisis was was very, very enriching from my perspective. And so basically started my first business in, in, in Africa and education sector, reached profitability after six months, exited after two years. With this money, we started two other companies in a more capitalistic uh, environment. One was in the building sector. We were present in 20 African countries and another one in the agricultural sector. Uh, we repeated the same playbook, rapid profitability, organic growth, but relatively low growth. So as founders, we were doing relatively well, making good money, but 
it was weak scalability. So it was very frustrating over time. So uh, this we were uh, before FinTech Tour. So uh, we, we, we I, I say we, by the way, because one of my current co-founders, Rida, is my co-founder since the beginning, since uh -huh. 2010. And uh, uh, we, we started to think on what we want to do for the rest of, rest of our life. I mean, we're still young entrepreneurs and... We, as I said, it was quite successful, but not enough, not, not very ambitious. So we tried to understand exactly what we wanted to do in terms of markets. And as you see it, we did different sectors. So we are not very, we are not very engaged into one specific sector. So yeah, we, at the time, we were looking for two things, a huge market, because we were frustrated on our niches where we were before. And the second is a complex problem. One of our strengths is solve with products complex problems. So we wanted to, to, to play on our strengths. So this is where it started. We've met our current other co-founders in 2017, started FinTechture in 2018. And uh, uh, I myself uh, uh, was doing business development at the very beginning. Then I led our product before being elected CEO by my other co-founders, Rida, who is our chief revenue officer now, and Anjan, who is the chief the CTO. So this is uh, about myself and how I got to FinTechture. Right, so you started in banking, then you went to basically your first entrepreneur experience within the education space. Um, and now it's, uh, again, financial services, uh, or better known as, as FinTech, right? Exactly, it's exactly. Exciting. Um, so yeah, so then on to uh, FinTechture. Um, like you said, it, it's huge market, yes, complexity, absolutely. Um, you guys ha have been doing pretty well. Um, you got a, a seed funding uh, last year. I know you got a big round again this year, which we'll talk about a, a bit later. Um, you have some big names on there, especially in the seed round, right? I thought that there uh, is obviously Societe Generale, but also um, people, founders from the likes of Facebook payments, uh, PayPal, Snapchat, uh, Adyen. Um, so there's some trust, or well, I would say a bit more than some trust uh, in your product. Um, there's a lot of trust in that. Can you talk? a bit more about what fintech sure. does exactly sure so let's at fintech we are i would say radically inventing the role of payment infrastructure for b2b merchants so we focus on b2b merchants so merchants selling to other businesses and we completely reinvent the role of a payment infrastructure in that context uh, we are now serving more than 3,000 businesses for their payment collection with a remarkable success with enterprise customers we call category leaders. I can give more color about this later on. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, with a simple mission, it's help our customer to save time and cost and increase sales. So just about saving them time, saving them costs of payments and increase their sales. It's 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 quite simple mission for our customers and even for our teams. So this is what we're trying to optimize for and, and build for. We started as an account-to-account -account payment pure player and expanded horizontally our product to fill other gaps in our merchants' online and offline checkouts. Sell. So we do both online and offline. So we started with this account-to-account -account payments powered by open banking, then added request to pays, net terms. It's the equivalent of BNPL for B2B, disbursement to customers, marketplace vendor payouts, etc. I maybe even before giving more 
information about the business, let's maybe talk about our vision there. We believe in a future where B2B commerce is mainly digitized versus only 10% online now, and payments are commoditized. We believe in a commoditization of payment uh, sooner than later, by the way. And by making it easier for our merchants, for B2B merchants to trade, we are accelerating the coming of these trends. It's not just a vision, but we really push towards that direction. So it's a payment infrastructure that integrates directly with the merchants and the B2B sector, and we enable them again to save their people time and costs of their payment of their payments and increase their sales. Since we've started with this simple mission, we went live in 2020, just before the pandemic, and we were we are growing quite exponentially since. Uh, last year, we've been growing at 50% month-on-month rate, 5-0, and we have processed more transactions last month than the whole 2020 and 21 combined, uh, the whole two years, proving the product market fit and our infrastructure resilience and scalability. As I said, we are enterprise focused. So we, we, we focus on, 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 on what we call category leaders, big uh, uh, merchants that win more than 1 billion GMV. And we are very much product led. So basically just about a product solving problems of, of, of our merchants. Uh, for a new payment player, it was serving these big enterprise customers in payment, it, it's, it's a, it was a huge challenge. Uh, but now, after signing, being live with the likes of Edenred, uh, Leroy Merlin, Bricoman, Decathlon, all these names, mm-hmm. and have signed more than 18 of them between last year and now of these big guys. Uh, now, it's it's it's... Uh, Now, what we're doing is filling these other gaps I mentioned before. So we started by having these big accounts, and by having them, it opens for us a way to have large, the other sides of the market. So we started from the big guys, then going to a smaller and smaller merchants, always with this simplicity of the product, enabling them to save time, costs, and increase their sales, and doing it by pushing other products and filling other gaps within these merchants. But again, it's not just about the classic SaaS and land expand, land and expand uh, that we see in SaaS and enterprise uh, with uh, enterprise customers. Our business model is, is mainly usage-based. So our customer success is, is a paramount uh, in what we are doing. So we need to make sure that our customers are set well and, 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 and their customers are using our solution. Uh, uh, while doing this, we must make sure that we better understand them and their problems to fix them. Again, always about helping them and, and the three points I mentioned before, which is our mission. Uh, so our customer success team uh, is almost an extension. It's very important in our organization. So making sure that we grow our business with our customer, existing customers, and plus the new ones, but also is an extension of our uh, uh, product team. Uh, 
And by the way, even in in in, in fintechture, you can grow, you you can evolve from the support and customer success team to the product team or to the product marketing team. So for us, it's it's a continuation between the merchant and the customer success and our product. It's a dialogue uh, between our product and our distribution at any time. I love that. You say it's a simple mission, uh, right? Helping your customers to save time and costs and increase their sales. I'm, I'm sure in practice, a bit more uh, complex than that. But um, how, what is the state of a, uh, if you look at B2B payments as a whole, or maybe the solution that you offer, what's the difference between before you come in and when you come in? Is it all paper-based and you digitize the whole thing? Or is it more that there is old processes um, which are um, based on maybe a legacy uh, infrastructure and then you come in and you completely renew that or what's the difference before you come in and when you come in, if you see what I mean? Yeah, completely. And that's a very interesting question. By the way, about the simplicity, it's, it's more about the clarity of the mission more, mm -hmm. I, I would say, than the simplicity. Just <laughs> make it clear for everyone, for the stakeholders, yeah. for the customers, and even for our teams. It just enables us to be more focused on what we are doing. Uh, and I agree, it's, it's very complex to, to go from this clarity to, to a real, real product. So about the B2B, what you're saying is, is, is B2B is very complex and, 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 and there is no payment solution in the B2B context that, that is solving B2B problems holistically now. And if you see in, 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 uh, on, 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 the B, on, on B2B payments, you have 130 trillion GMV of payments in B2B, only 1.5% of this is processed by cards, and they processed by digital payments. 50% of this is still uh, processed by paper checks. It's 60% in the US. Uh, you have still in Europe 50% with normal wires that are reconciled manually with a lot of manual uh, processes around it. So I wouldn't say we are displacing any player or tackling any player, we are really focusing on digitizing this payment flows. So as I said at the very beginning, we believe that all this will be digitized in the future and it's not now. So basically what is different is, as I said, in B2B, a payment is not, it's it's much more complex than in B2C and serving B2B is, is not just about branding and distribution. Uh, it's solving for B2B payments. You almost need a completely different solution than you have in B2C because in B2B, you have large payment amounts. We process transaction over 100,000 100, euros, often multiple dozens of euros in one transaction. So this, this is not something you do generally on the B2C context. Uh, uh, Merchants' margin are much lower than in B2C in percentage. So basically, bringing the business model of the B2C to the B2B, it doesn't work neither. So you need to completely reinvent the business model and, and, and the pricing. You have a problem of reconciliation for both the buyer and the seller. Both are businesses, so both needs to reconcile these payments. So you need to embed a certain uh, level of data and reconciliation processes. Uh, that you have different payment terms. Uh, uh, you have prepaid, postpaid, and, and different kind of payment terms that you need to embed in your solution with scorings of business buyers with KYBs. And uh, even from a, a, a payer perspective, 
a buyer is not always always the same person as the payer. In, in a company, you have one department who's buying, another one who's paying. So you need to embed these workflows in your payment solution. So basically, it's really completely starting again and understanding what are the processes now and why it's still not digitized, the whole this whole industry, and build up from scratch a solution, a holistic solution that can manage this whole complexity while providing a very smooth and 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 sleek experience for both the buy, the buyer and the seller so this is what what is about and i talked about the size of the market it's it, it's now 130 trillion gmv wow. which is five times bigger than total volume of b2c payments and this is expected to reach 200 trillions in 2028 so we are talking about Maybe one of the most, one of the biggest markets in the world in terms of of GMV. It's it's it's, it's two times the global uh, GDP. So it, it's 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 really big payment volumes. And as I said at the very beginning, we we are not displacing card. We are not displacing existing providers. We are just enabling to digitize a maximum share of these payments that are still processed in a very old and expensive ways. The Open Banking Explorers is the only award scheme serving the open banking and open finance industry across the globe. Launched virtually in 2021, it attracted more than 120 entries across 15 categories with 90 companies shortlisted. The Open Banking Explorers recognize the innovators, disruptors and visionaries across the globe who have been at the forefront of the open banking revolution. Join them on July 7th in London at the Park Plaza River Bank for an evening of celebration, networking and entertainment. It's clear that the B2B payments market is a huge opportunity, right? It's super complex, as you said, uh, but there's 50% still of B2B payment transactions which are paper-based. There's high volumes. Um, there's 130 in GMV, which is five times the size of what the uh, consumer uh, payment market looks like. Um, I see more and more companies jumping on the opportunity now, but still not as much. I don't think it's as saturated as B2C payments, for example, right? Is that for a reason? Is that because it's so complex or...? Yeah, I think I think for it's it's completely crazy. I mean, it's 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 the competition that is in the B two C is ten times bigger than in the B two B, while the market is five times bigger. It's it's as simple as that. And a lot of people trying to tackle it from different angles, but I think you need to have a, a holistic approach in solving the problem, a systematic approach in solving the problem. Again, it's a very complex problem, and if you for example, uh, we, we talked about cards that, has, that are not taken in the B2B. If you build your solution based on the card base, it, it cannot work because the business model is it's expensive. You cannot process large amount transactions. So it's, 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 you need to try to solve each one of the problems I mentioned before. And you have at least six, seven big problems you need to solve for at the same, at the same time. So this is why I'm talked up in the beginning on, on, on reinventing the role of payment infrastructure for B2B. It's really about this. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's talk a bit more about that payment infrastructure because in our kind of pre-podcast show a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about kind of your approach uh, to that, right? You, you were or you are a member of the Cashless Society in France. Uh, you yeah. worked uh, with or for almost the regulators for the last two to three years. You've been in touch with the ECB to build the French EPI. Uh, you've been, you are sitting with the regulator every every month. So, 
what you said then, which I think is interesting, is that you are your approach is to do it to build the payment infrastructure together with the banks and the regulators instead of in competition with them. Can you yes. talk a bit more about that? Because I think that is an interesting take. Yes, I I, I think. I think first payment is about trust. Regulators, banks, and all these guys have a huge trust capital that as a fintech, you cannot build overnight. So I think first, if we say that the payment is also about trust, we need to put ourselves in a serious position to win this trust. So uh, working with regulators and banks and incumbents is, 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 is very important on that matter. Plus, as I said, we focus on B2B, put us in a quite comfortable position because while focusing on B2B, we are not displacing incumbents. We are not displacing cards. The interchange is mainly made on the B2C. Uh, so for banks, it's not very competitive. So we can build this partnership. So we have distribution partnerships with banks, for example, we have good relationship with almost all banks. And uh, as you mentioned it with the regulator, the idea also is we operate in the regulator framework. Fintechture is a regulated payment institution, not just for open banking, but a regulated payment institution. And we need to explain clearly what we want to do and how we can do it and how we manage this risk and what is what we are bringing into the table for merchants and for their customers in terms of optimization. And the regulators are very happy to hear that, to understand exactly we are, where we are going. And, and again, to win their trust. And when we have it, they also make sure that we get what we need from the banks, from all other stakeholders. Sometimes it could, this approach can be, can, can, can be time consuming. Sometimes we, we can spend a lot of, it's not very agile, but I think it's important to have this in mind while growing. It's very important to clarify that we want to empower incumbent. We want to work with incumbent in order to digitize this B2B payments, not trying to displace anyone. Because that will help you uh, in the long run too, right? Exactly, exactly. Indeed, yeah. No, that's, uh, that makes total sense. Another interesting take I think you have is on your kind of view on fundraising, right? Again, we, we spoke about that. You got, uh, I think it was 6.2 uh, last uh, May uh, in a seed round, but you also uh, raised 18 million last January, but you didn't announce it. You said, yeah. yeah, for us, there's so much noise. It's no, no achievement by itself. That's interesting. Why is that? Yeah, I think we are very proud of our investors. As you said, we have, we have big global investors and, and uh, both institutionals. Uh, our lead fund is Target Global, but we also have a lot of angel uh, uh, investors like the founder of Datadog, uh, Olivier Pommel, or Willian, the ex-CEO of, of, of Affirm, people from Facebook Payment, people from... Uh, so, all, and all these guys are very helpful. But what I was saying is, while fundraising is important, even crucial, it gives us the resources we need to accelerate, but it shouldn't be a goal by itself. I mean, uh, it's, it's important to raise funds, and this is how you accelerate, and how you, if, if you don't do it, someone else will outspend you or, or, or go faster. But I don't, some, sometimes I feel like it, 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 in terms of communication, it could be 
a metric by itself. It could be an achievement by itself. While it's not, it's 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 a responsibility to raise funds. So when when you take people's money, you, you need to make sure that you are you you, you are uh, delivering on on what you are doing. Even if you are in on on on, on VC context where investment are often lost, but I think it's just. What I was saying last time is I we didn't focus on communicating the round. Indeed, we we've closed two rounds. One is, was six, almost six million, five point six million euros, and the second was eighteen million uh, extension. But we didn't communicate the second one because we, as a, yeah, as you said, it, there were a lot of noise about fundraising, and we were focused on something else. So we didn't communicate it officially yet, and we did some. We talked about it like in, in podcasts or interviews, but we didn't did a dedicated communication. That's interesting. So, so basically, uh, the fundraising is not an achievement by itself, right? It's rather an enabler to help you achieve kind of your next big goal. Yes, but but to be honest, even on that point, I think I, I, I as a founder that came from a non-VC context i i was underestimating the importance of rising money and rising quickly and rising largely i, I was a little bit underestimating this i i learned with time that this is a very important for your success of your business mm-hmm. because you can be very you can be great in execution but if someone else does the same thing with more resources he we are in very competitive markets so we'll be beaten <laughs> So it's it's very important, but still it shouldn't be the only thing we focus on. We need to focus on our execution. So looking beyond that, then what's next now? Now that you've got this fundraising, it seems like you're working on a lot. But what is it, what is the next thing you're working on right now? Is it growing the team or? Yeah, this is this is so. Next is always the same thing as we say. It's it's enable our customers to save time, cost, and increase sales internationally. Yeah, and now doing it internationally, uh, serving merchants and buyers from other countries, both from other countries. So getting a larger geographical and product footprint. So basically, this is the main point. And you mentioned the team. I think it's also very challenging to build a cohesive team while growing rapidly. We are exactly 75 now and hiring 50 more. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of our team. We are diverse by gender, age, nationalities, mother tongues, and even in a way of thinking or our priorities. I'm a big believer in diversity. Uh, I think it makes us stronger and more creative. Uh, so it's really about continuing to build this team because it's uh, building this environment uh, where people can work together. And 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 uh, it's also, I often hear about company culture. There is something here I, I would like to say. So I, we often hear about company culture and even sometimes companies set up cultural framework and try to make it adopted by their employees. Uh, I don't believe this is a way of doing things. So... I think we should focus on company values more than company culture. I don't think we can change people's culture and make them fit into one uniform cultural mold. And if it, even if it's doable, I don't see, frankly, why we would do that. I mean, people are different. And for an organization like us, having diverse team is an asset, not a weakness. So... But still, we need this common ground to enable a diverse team to work together efficiently. 
And from my perspective, this can be done through values, not culture. I believe values are the common denominator we should focus on. So this is why I'm talking about culture and values. And, 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 and uh, uh, so basically, to answer your first question about the team, is really growing the team around those values that that we want to 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 represent and and by the way as i said we cannot change people culture we cannot neither change people values uh, we explicitly and publicly talk about our values as a company as a collective of people and try to hire people with the same values so if we say that we cannot change people's culture neither values uh, that means either we hire people with the same cultural background and we don't want to do that on the contrary, or we hire people with the same value set. And this is what we are trying to do. So it's not just about increasing the team numerously or just hiring more and more FTE and this became in the KPI by itself as well. It's really about making sure that we have a cohesive team that, that can work together, that finds sense and what we are doing and understand the mission and the clarity of the mission. And this is a much harder challenge and to achieve than just growing the team. I was going to ask you, how challenging is that, especially in today's market where there's clearly a war on talent going on? How, how difficult is it? Do people tend to uh, be drawn towards that kind of uh, vision, let's say, or uh, does it make things more complicated or yeah, how challenging is it? It is challenging. I think it's it's one of the biggest challenges we have and uh, other other businesses like ours we have because uh, businesses like ours don't have plants nor farms nor physical merchandise. At the end of the day, we are just a collective of people. And the most important thing is to build an environment where these people can find sense, motivation and work together efficiently and enjoyably. So I think it's 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 a hard the hardest challenge to do. Um what you you're saying is sometimes we can be tempted to close our eyes on many aspects and just try to hire because it's very complex to hire. So if you are adding other layers of decision making, you, you don't accelerate your your hirings. But the question we need to ask ourselves is how do we perform with more people than we did with less? And if this is not better, there is a problem in our way of growing the team. So I think it's very important to make sure that everyone is aligned. I think basically, as you said, it, we are in a market where a lot of startups, a lot of businesses are hiring. So there is a room for everyone. And I think no one wants to start a job with an asymmetry of information. No one wants to start a job that will be failing in their missions. So I think being open about what we are expecting and how we are with people and enable them to be open about it. I think this enables us to both the candidate and ourselves to take this more sensitive and more sensible decisions that would lead to a better uh, collaboration than just hiring with a closed eyes. Yeah, that makes, makes total sense. Where does this approach come from? Is it because you've already built businesses in, in Africa? Um, or where does this come from? Yeah, it's, 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 I, I, I yeah, th this is an interesting question because I, I, I think 
I never imagined that starting uh, a business in Africa, uh, starting as an African entrepreneur would be so helpful in building uh, an innovative payment infrastructure in the West. So, and I think I learned a lot and still learning about how to build a team and how to work with others. Um, but not just that, I would say one of my biggest learning is, is long-term building and long-term thinking. But just one, one point about the team before before talking about this. On, on, on the team, we also carved out since our first round a large pool uh, of equity uh, and ASOP for our employees. It's it's equivalent of, 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 of my shares at FinTicture that is set and already carved out for employees. So we want to be as much rewarding as we can at, at FinTicture. So everyone contributes and everyone gets rewarded uh, on based on the contribution. So closing this point about the team, about the long term, and this is my main uh, learning from, from, from my African entrepreneurship experience. I, I, even if I, I always went back and forth from Africa to Europe, so it's, it's, it's been in, in, in different backgrounds, it's as enriching as humbling at the same time. So just navigating different contexts. What I was saying about the long term is, is when you build in Africa, sometimes, especially when you have licenses to ask for or you work with institutional, sometimes it can take a very long time. For example, for my agricultural business, between the time we were able to deploy and deployment, we spent four years waiting just for administrative authorizations and, and stuff like this. So when you need to wait for such a long time before doing something, you need to anticipate the future. You need to anticipate what would be happening in the future. So, and when you start building for the long term, you do things your competitors cannot uh, do in the short term. So even if you have competition at some point, because you've embedded time in your formula, in, in, in your thinking, it's very defensive. So sometimes people cannot accelerate time. People can raise more money. People can hire more, sign more customers, but no, none, none can accelerate time. So having this way of preparing what could happen in the future and try to build something that is not relevant now, just now, but it's relevant in X years. I think this is something I've learned that I, even in FinTicture, was trying to do. We've spent almost two years in self mode. And when we were live, our product was much more advanced than anyone's in the market. And this is how we kept signing big category readers since we, we've been live. So I think this is this is one of the big learnings I had is, is really built for the long term. The long term always win. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Like you said uh, before, normally it's people find or be an entrepreneur in Europe and then go to Africa, whereas you've done it the other way around. Uh, and it sounds like there's some key learnings you did there, which sounds pretty common to be honest, but to then apply them and be successful in a company such as FinTechture, um, that goes without saying, is uh, probably a, a key success factor. Yeah, exactly. This is it. Great for us. Well, thanks for being on the show. It's been very insightful to uh, learn a bit more about uh, FinTechture, but also B2B payments um, and the, the opportunity that is there. Um, great to have you on the show. And uh, Thank yeah, you very much. Good luck with uh, everything that's going to come with uh, the big expansion that you have planned, um, as well as growing the team. Thank you. Thank you very much, Roger. Great to have you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Freer Girl, who are dedicated to founding child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Evelyn, CEO and founder of Free Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freegirl.com for more information. Thank you.